37th parallel on America's haunted highway, it's Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Pixelated Paranormal, episode number 42. The regular show. Yeah. <laughs> so finally something that is older than Rob. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funnier because he's not here to defend himself. <laughs> Rob couldn't make it on this episode tonight. He had some stuff pop up at the last minute. So it's just Presto and I again with no adult supervision. So we're just going to see where things go. Yeah, we're just going to wing it. Yeah, we, uh, we're hot off the tails of recording our first bonus episode for Halloween, so you guys probably uh, just recently listened to that. And if you didn't, go back and listen to it. Yeah, it's go back. Doozy. Yeah, we're not we're not doing that stupid thing I was doing where it's like episode 15 and then it's like bonus episode because iTunes just numbers it willy-nilly anyway, so we're yeah. just going to keep these puppies in sequential order. So yeah. If we were fancy enough like Mysterious Universe and had our own app, we could do seasons and bonus <laughs> episodes because we could label it whatever the fuck we wanted to. That's but true. iTunes is not that way. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, so uh, we've got another bonus episode coming up next week. We should be dropping that puppy on Halloween Day, and we'll have a, a special guest with us that night. So tune in for that one, and we're going to be probably be chatting mostly about uh, good old-fashioned alien abductions and whatnot. <sighs> so that'll be a good time. That'll be a good, good time. Well, we'll go ahead and uh, skip the pleasantries. Nothing new is going on with you, right? Uh, no, no. I mean, just we talked about the Mason shit last time. That's really yeah. about the newest thing. If anybody so. missed that, Preston is a 32nd degree Mason now. Watch out. <laughs> <laughs> Moving no, on up. Is it considered to be 32nd degree Mason or 32nd degree Shriner? Yeah, 32nd degree Mason. Okay, so. you're a Mason. 32nd degree yeah. Mason and you're... Shriner's just like the, the icing on the cake. So Okay, cool, cool. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, with that, let's jump into the news. Well, guys, we were late to the party because I simply forgot about this story. But better late than never. Brave passengers board the last flight ever, flight number 666, straight to hell, on Friday the 13th. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My uh, my brother sent this over to me, and I forgot to uh, talk about it the last time we recorded with Rob. And, you know, we actually would have had it delivered on time. But fearless flyers laugh in the face of superstition when they board the last ever flight number 666 to hell on Friday the 13th. Traveling on the unluckiest day of the year could save you some serious pounds, but it'll cost you a journey straight to hell on the 13th hour of the superstitious date. Nordic airline Finn Air has flown brave passengers from Copenhagen, Denmark to Helsinki, Finland on Friday the 13th every year since 2006. However, this is the last time Flight 666 will fly to hell as the airline has decided to retire the mystical flight number. They said today will actually be the final time that our AY666 flies to Helsinki, a spokesman for the airline said. As of October 29th, some of our flight numbers on our network will change, and our AY-666 flight from Copenhagen to Helsinki will change to AY-954. In 11 years, we've flown 21 times the AY-666 flight to Helsinki on Friday the 13th. Thankfully, veteran pilot, whose name I will butcher, 
Yuha Pika Cadesto said he's not superstition nor scared. He's not superstitious or scared about flying on Friday. He says, What's that? I was just going to make a bad joke that he says, I'm on an airplane to hell. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's been a joke among the pilots for many, many years, he says previously, but I'm not superstitious. It's only a coincidence for me. If there are some passengers who are anxious about the 666 flight, our cabin crew is always happy to help them. Flight 666 departed from the Danish capital around 1.20 p.m. and arrived safely in Helsinki shortly after 4 p.m. So there you go. Kind of an interesting gig, man. I never even heard about that until he sent that message to me, but kind of a cool deal. Do you know why Friday the 13th is considered so unlucky? Uh, because it's the day they famously decided to kill people on the Jason movies. Fuck no. Oh, I mean, that's the Hollywood version, but the, 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 real, <laughs> the real historical, let me school all you listeners on the Ooh. real historical version on why Friday the 13th is so unlucky. So it was like, uh, I don't know, like 1060, 1066 or like 1072, uh, right after the uh, first Crusades had ended. Uh-huh. And the Knights Templar uh, had created a banking system. And uh, they came into some power, and the Pope got jealous, and the uh, Prince uh, or King Philip of France, who is a lot like uh, Robert, uh, oh shit, the guy from Game of Thrones, uh, Robert uh, Baratheon. Oh yeah, uh, he was a regular old Robert Baratheon who whored and drank his way around uh, Europe, and uh, he kept borrowing money from the Templars, and finally they're like, you know what? Fuck you, buddy. We're not paying for your next whore. <laughs> We're not paying for your next flag and a wine. Go eat a dick, and then. Philip was really good friends with the Pope, and he was like, uh, hey, uh, what can we uh, do about this? And so they conspired against the Knights Templar, said that they were all pagan Satanist worshippers who were either worshipping the head of Baphomet or the head of uh, John the Baptist, and uh, they tortured them all into confession to s- admit that they were Satanism or Satan- Satanist. <laughs> and... Uh, Basically, on Friday the 13th, uh, they killed over a couple hundred uh, Knights Templars at once and burned them at the stake. So it has been considered an unlucky day ever since. But if you're not a Knights Templar and uh, you don't live in uh, you know you know the first of the century in you know medieval Europe, I think you're okay. It's not that bad of a deal. So that's fantastic, dude. Yeah, and it just so happens that I got uh, my thirty-second uh, degree on Friday the thirteenth. Oh shit, you did! Yeah, so I was like, <laughs> "That's pretty fucking ironic." That's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> hell yeah, dude. Well, congrats again. That's pretty awesome. Oh, it's so- Even if you had to drink pig's blood and sacrifice a goat, it's still pretty neat. Yeah, <laughs> only two. Right. Well, and I hope it goes well, and you continue to you know progress in it. And find that it's something really great that you like instead of what this guy did whenever Uh-oh. the pressure started getting a little heavy on him. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we talk a lot about mis- uh, mysterious disappearances and missing people and missing 411. But this disappearance story has a happy ending. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, probably not for this ending. guy. <laughs> Man tired of wife's nagging hides in a forest for 10 years. (laughs) Uh, After three years of marriage, Malcolm Applegate had enough. 
He simply couldn't take it anymore. Instead of asking for a divorce, he just up and disappeared. Dude straight just fucking left. <laughs> Man, fuck this bitch. I'm going to the forest. <laughs> <laughs> Without telling anybody where he went, his friends, his wife, his colleagues, he just simply disappeared. Um, what happened was basically he had his own business, privately owned business, and it was taken off, man. And Booming. because it was becoming so popular and so busy, he was never home because of the demanding hours it required for him to be there. So his wife kept getting pissed off and yelling at him more and more because he was never home. And finally, he just said, screw it. I, I can't take it anymore. Um, I don't want to divorce her. I don't want to cause any problems. So I'm just going to fucking pack my shit and leave. And that's what he did. That's what he did. Without telling anybody, he walked and biked for three weeks from his home in Birmingham all the way to London, where he camped in some thick-ass woods and worked in a garden of a nearby community center. Recently, he went to a shelter that helps homeless people get back on their feet. He moved in and started to put his life back together, which meant calling his sister for the first time in over a decade. She had presumed he actually had died and was overjoyed to find out otherwise. But there is no word whether or not he contacted his wife or not. (laughs) (laughs) Man, so does she get, like, all the money in the business and, and, like, you would assume so, right? Yeah, see, that's the thing. Like, it doesn't really say what happened afterwards. So there probably is some kind of statute. If a body – a body – if a person is gone long enough, I think you can presume them legally dead, right? I think in the States it's, like, four years or something. Yeah, four or five years. Yeah, so it's it's interesting. No matter how you slice it, I'd like to. Maybe we can follow up on that next episode if we get any more details on that. But yeah, happy ending there, man. For once, yeah. one of the stories he actually reappeared. So it wasn't a missing four hundred one case. <laughs> so your your comment about him tending a garden spurred this this uh, thought in my head. <clears throat> so. Uh, uh, Jeffrey was uh, perusing Facebook uh, the other night, and I was sitting next to her, and somebody had uh, posted on uh, Facebook a historical reference to uh, garden gnomes. Mm-hmm. And did you know that garden gnomes are, in fact, real, and they were prevalent in Europe in uh, like 17th, the 17th century? So there was this practice that the aristocrats were so bored with life, like they just like – they didn't know how to live life. And they were just so wealthy and they were having like all these parties and they're like, fuck yeah, I'm rich, that they decided <laughs> that they needed a little bit of, uh, you know, melancholy. They needed melancholy and the infinite sadness in their life. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so they they found like homeless people. They found bums, right? And they're and like, beat the you. Shit out of them. You are going to tend my garden. And so they put these homeless people in their garden, and that was their job. This homeless person would live in the garden, and then the rich people would just come by and watch them be homeless. And that's where we get the modern incarnation of garden gnomes. Really? Yeah, they'd, they'd have like little wooden shacks like out in uh-huh. their backyard, and the little homeless guy would just live in the backyard and be like, I'm picking fruit today. And then they'd be like, oh, I mean, look at him. He smells like shit. He's picking fruit. But I mean, I got wine. And they'd be all excited. And it's just like, <laughs> wow, I never knew that that's where garden gnomes came from. Huh. And I'm just like, why did we give up that practice? Because I would totally let some homeless dude live in my backyard if he would be my personal gnome. Yeah, I was going to say gardener, but gnome is cool, too. <laughs> so do they make him wear dunce caps? And that's where the pointy little gnome hats came from, I wonder. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. That's, that's, 
That was the you know they 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 had the beard and they had the little cap and yeah. They were just, they would make they would make them feel better about their situation. Like this guy smells so bad that I'm yeah. doing good. So, huh. well, I mean, it gave him purpose. That's kind of cool. Yeah, you need to reflect on the sadness to be happy. Well, I've heard different reports of cities planting fruit trees along their main streets as opposed to just like flowers and regular trees. That way, homeless people have something to eat. Um, but the argument was that you know why should we give them free food when we don't get free food ourselves? And of course, that's just going to be an, a spiraling argument. But somebody else brought forth the idea that you could plant fruit trees and also some smaller gardens in public parks, and the homeless would have to tend the gardens in order to reap the benefits of it. So, sounds like a pretty decent idea to me. Of course, city would probably have to front the the bill for the water and everything, but still, like again, it gives them purpose. So. Yeah, it's a gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> right. <laughs> nice. Well, it's funny because you made that uh, that Smashing Pumpkins reference there. And oddly enough, I've been listening to a boatload of this greatest hits that my buddy Adam had made years ago. And out of nowhere, like last week, I've just been jamming on this thing over and over and over and over. And then coincidentally, I heard a interview on the way home from Oklahoma this last weekend. And that's going to be our next uh, story. So go ahead and take it away there real quick. So the artist formerly known as Billy Corgan, because he went back to his original birth name, William Patrick Corgan. Right. Which, <laughs> oh, I Willie mean, P. I mean, fucking Prince is the only person that should be able to pull off the artist formerly known as, but you know, Chubby Corgan, you do what you want. <laughs> So if none of you know who Chubby Corgan is, Chubby Corgan is uh, the former member of the 90s alt-rock pioneer, The Smashing Pumpkins. So Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness, Siamese uh, Dream, I could, I mean, uh, what was the other, Gish, that was their first album. So, I mean, I, I jammed out to Smashing Pumpkins back in the day. But anyways, so old Corgan was on the Howard Stern, uh, Howard Stern Show and uh, to promote his new album, Ogallala. Ogilala. And, and when the interview turned towards Corgan's many appearances on that loud, angry guys conspiracy nutjob radio show, uh, Alex Jones, who <laughs> said that the, the frogs are in the water, and that's how they get us pregnant, and that's how they drug us. Goddamn frogs. There's the lizard people everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so as it turns out that uh, Corgan is a vocal believer in some of the more fringe conspiracies, including all the anti-vaccination claims, mass media brainwashing, and, of course, the good old-fashioned chemtrails. During the interview at Stern Press Corgan on what exactly his alleged paranormal or unexplained experience have been, Corgan revealed that he once witnessed a human shapeshift right before his very eyes. Yeah, he uh, he was poking fun a little bit at Corgan. It's funny because we were driving home, and we were probably about halfway between Broken Bow and Wichita, and I switched over to the Howard Stern show because, you know, he's got some pretty real uh, – he's got some really good interviews on that show. And it happened to be Billy Corgan. And I'm like, holy shit, I've been on this weird Smashing Pumpkins kick for a while. Yeah. So I gave it a listen. And so, yeah, he's talking about – he kind of ribs uh, Billy a little bit about being on the Alex Jones show. And then he's like, yeah, so what do you think about all that bullshit and blah, blah, blah. And Billy's like, yeah, you know, I uh, I kind of I kind of believe in that kind of stuff. I've experienced some weird paranormal stuff in my past. And try as he might, Howard Stern couldn't get the entire story out of him. But he's like, yeah, I had one experience in particular that he's like, I won't, I won't tell it on the air. I just can't tell it on the air. It's better for maybe a book or something like that, which, you know, 
hint, hint, nudge, yeah. nudge. Maybe it'll be in a book in the future. But yeah, he he kept pressing him about it. So, and and Corgan said, "Let's just say I was with somebody once, and I saw a transformation that I can't explain. It's a really messed up story. It's up there with one of those uh, most intense things I've ever been through." So Corgan claims that he wasn't on drugs and. He says, imagine you're doing something and suddenly you turn around and there, there's somebody standing there and Stern's like a different human. He's like, sort of. It's hard to explain without going into the details. I'd rather not go into the details. And so, yeah, you know, Stern kept uh, pressing him and he's like, so we mean, what did you say to the person? What, you know, he's like, what did you just do here? He's like, yeah. And, and they acknowledged it. And Stern was like, are they from another planet? Corgan was like, they. They wouldn't explain. So basically, he saw a shapeshifter. Yeah, he uh, he wouldn't he wouldn't say. And Stern kept probing him and poking him. He's like, "Come on, tell me, like, what do you mean? They turn into a lizard person. They turn into an alien." And he's like, "You know, I'm just there. And then one minute I'm talking to this person, and then I'm doing something, and all of a sudden, like, there they are. They're a different person." And he said that he doesn't talk to that individual anymore just because he's a terrible. Uh, he, he's terrible at keeping in communication with people. Hence, that's why he had so many band changes. <laughs> right. Since then, he's actually made amends with a lot of those people. But uh, yeah, they said that he used to be a bit of a control freak is what he was saying. And, you know, he was really all about everything. But at the same time, like it was his band, like these people did instill their faith in him. But you signed up kind of for whatever. And because of his weird manic, you know, OCD ways, that's probably why they were so famous. But um, yeah, he just he wouldn't he wouldn't say what exactly happened. He just said, you know, uh, imagine doing something. Like he just said, imagine doing something and then turning around and there's somebody else behind you. So hopefully one day he'll he'll divulge that story a little bit deeper for us and we can figure out what the hell happened. So what do you think, Ben? Do you think it was lizard people? Do you think it was a like black magic occultist who who was able just to like uh, you know change their face like Satan, like the movie The Craft? Yeah. <laughs> I loved that movie. I don't know, dude. I mean, I'm open to anything. That's the whole purpose of this show and, and for us doing this is I'm if you can prove it to me, I'd believe it. I believe in the potential for something like that. Fuck lizard people. Everybody's always blaming it on the lizard people. Goddamn Queen's a lizard person. Get out of here with that shit, Alex Jones. <laughs> I thought you were talking Freddie Mercury there for a second. <laughs> <laughs> Under oh, pressure. That's funny. Yeah, that's interesting, man. It was it was definitely a good interview, and it was really cool to hear that he said that. I just wish he would have gone a little bit further into it. So, <sighs> you got any more news? No, man, that's all I got. I was excited. I'm like, fuck, one of my like all time like musical heroes. Like we're talking like Smashing Pumpkins, Nirvana, yeah. Stone Temple Pilots, and I was like, fucking Chubby Corgan. Saw a shapeshifter. Like, my heart just skipped a beat. I'm like, yeah! That's my new story. <laughs> Hopefully we're I not thought, offending our listener, uh, our listener buddy Andy. Uh, oh, no, that's who I thought about. I'm like, oh, my God. Boinkin is, like, going to get a fucking heart on over this. He loves Chubby Corrigan. Yeah, so. dude, if, yeah, if you get a chance, Andy, uh, look it up on YouTube. I'm sure you can find his recent interview with Stern on YouTube. It's, it's definitely worth a listen. Beyond the paranormal stuff, it was just a really good, you know, opportunity opportunity to listen to, you know, what he had to say and where he's at, you know, in his career and everything this far forward into his uh, his career. So kind of cool. Well, our next uh, story is kind of a news story in the end, but I got to give you the backstory first um, of what happened here. But uh, are you drinking a Moscow Mule? That'd be awesome. No. 
<laughs> I wish. I just really like the bronze mug. That's cool. Uh, makes me feel Russian. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm drinking a water out of one of our our oh. uh, resolution run beer run mugs. That we that's got. not the one that you peed in and, th- and threw in my car. Was it? <laughs> <laughs> no. no. Okay, guys. So there's this uh, <laughs> there's this 5K run, fun run they do every year in El Dorado, and it's a beer run. So you get a plastic mug, and about every uh, every three quarters, every mile, not quite every mile, you can stop and get about an eight ounce pour of, unfortunately, Bud Light, and you just chug it and keep running. Well, was it the first year or the second year you did that with us? First year. First year that uh, Presto ran that with all of us. Um, we had to go a little slower because our friend had hurt her foot and had, or no, her knee. She had to get her knee surgically uh, fixed. And so we were kind of walking this one this year just to keep everybody together. And so um, partly my fault um, for having a knack of getting along with just about anybody. Uh, we made nice with a group of good old boys that were at the halfway marker. And we proceeded to shotgun like four or five of these eight-ounce beers. <laughs> got good and tight, finished the race. And then on the way back to Wichita, I had to urinate severely bad to the point where it's like, I can't hold it anymore. So these little mugs are probably like little, I don't know what you think, like a 10, 12 ounce plastic mug. Yeah, probably that. And, uh, I couldn't, I don't know the seal broke. And so I had to relieve myself in this beer mug whilst my wife was driving down the highway at like 70 miles an hour. And so I managed to fill up a cup, I threw my hands up, and I threw the mug out the window. And what happened, Preston? It hit my fucking windshield, <laughs> and I saw yellow rain. <laughs> oh, I threw the mug and all because well, at first I was going to pour it out the window, and then Shayla said, I know you're not going to keep that mug. That's disgusting. I was like, oh. So I just kind of flung the mug and the pee up in the air, and then the wind caught it, and it landed on the hood of your car. <laughs> It's so good. Oh, man. It's amazing. Yeah. And so that's the time I almost gave Preston a golden shower. (laughs) Oh, good stuff. I love it. I love it. Well, back to to brass tacks here. Um, What I wanted to talk about next was this ongoing saga of what they call the Watcher House in New Jersey. And you said you've never heard about this, huh? Nope. Um. Basically, what the Watcher House is, is simply that. It's a house in Jersey that the newer owners have come forward and said they've been harassed by a man named the Watcher who sends them threatening letters, but they're not really exactly sure about, like, what, like, what his end game is. I, it sounds mostly like he's trying to get them to leave, potentially, but it's it's a truly bizarre story. The man known as the Watcher is making life a living hell for one family in the formerly safe town of Westfield, New Jersey. So back in, like, 2004, Derek and Maria brought us, bought a six-bedroom house in Westfield. Um, it was a mansion, and they bought it for, like, $1.3 million dollars. So first of all, I'd love to have half that amount of money to drop on a house. That would be is keen. It, is this like uh, – you know how like uh, you have all those like spooky ghost stories to start out where we came across this house and it was uh, more than we could afford. But then we got one hell of a deal. <laughs> so I, I don't know if on a mansion of one – what did you say? $1.3 million? Is yeah. That a hell of, is that a hell of a deal? Does anybody know that? It kind of sounds more like they got rinky-dinked in a way because I believe the former owners – it might be in the story or not. Um, that I'm about to read you guys, but I believe the family who bought it first 
got it for a little bit cheaper. They probably did some renovations on it, and that's why they sold it for more. But um, they bought this house because they thought it would be the perfect place to raise their three kids. And a few days after moving in, around June 2nd, they received a mysterious letter that pretty much just fucked up their whole world. So according to the Washington Post and many other sources that I've read, the basically uh, the first letter they got said this. My grandfather watched the house in the 1920s. My father then in the 60s. Now it is my time. I've been put in charge of watching and waiting for its second coming. Uh, The letter goes on to say, Do you need to fill the house with young blood, I requested? Once I know their names, I will call to them and draw them out with me. Pretty fucked up, right? It's pretty fucked up. So a few days later, on the 18th of June, and then again on the 18th of July, they received two more letters. And the gist of it basically says... Have they found out what's in the walls yet? In time they will. I am pleased to know your names, and now the names of the young blood that you have brought me. Will the young bloods play in the basement? The writer also says he hoped to get some info to make his stalking a little bit easier. Who has the bedrooms facing the street? I will know soon enough, once you all move in. It will help me to know who's in which bedroom. Then I can plan better. Okay, so then it says, how could the stalker possibly see who's living in which room, you might ask? Well, one of the letters happened to say, all of the windows and doors on 657 Boulevard allow me to watch you and track you as you move through the house. Then uh, it gets a little bit more threatening down the line. You have changed it and made it so fancy. It cries for the past and what used to be in a time when I roamed its halls, when I ran from room to room imagining the life with rich occupants there. And now I watch and wait for the day when the young blood will be mine again. (laughs) And straight from this article here, it says in the final piece of this Batman villain esque writing, he writes, who am I? I am the watcher. So either this is like some like psychotic fucking stalker that's right. uh, got got some issues, or they have a fucking ghost, my friend, who can has enough energy to write letters, and that's why he's watching because he's been there and he's pissed that you fucking updated his 17th century fucking mansion. He don't want no fucking <laughs> light bulbs and fucking electricity. He wants fucking well water and outhouses, motherfuckers. <laughs> right? Go fix it, young oh, blood. Man. <laughs> so not surprisingly the Broadus family wasn't going to stick around long uh, once they knew they had a stalker yearning for quote young blood so they made some improvements but they never actually moved in supposedly because they were too creeped out and they felt way too threatened to bring their family there officially um, they claimed they tried to sell the house but when they disclosed the watcher's information uh, potential buyers just kind of back out because of obvious reasons so They went on to say they reached out to the former owners of the home that they purchased the house from, um, a family called the Woods, and told them about the creepy letter. Allegedly, the Woods say they had one letter when they lived in the house, but it wasn't very threatening, so they just threw the letter out and never paid any more attention. But the Broaddus family took that to mean that the Woods family actually knew about this but never disclosed it to the new buyers. So they went to court over it. And one letter, according to the Broaddus family, says, I asked the Woods to bring me young blood, and I've been in control of the 657 Boulevard house for the better part of two decades. Now the Woods family has turned it over to you. It was their time to move on and kindly sold it when I asked them to. 
Though the Woods, again, according to all this uh, filed in the complaint, did admit to receiving one letter that completely denied any wrongdoing and countersued the Broadus family, said they've been damaging their name and bringing on a lot of negative press. So police didn't want to leave the neighborhood, you know, in a rye with supposedly this, you know, peeping Tom running amok. So they did an uh, exhaustive, what they say, an exhaustive search and they found a few leads and confirmed the existence of their three letters, but the cops said they weren't aware of any letters being sent to the woods or previous owners. So supposedly cops admitted to seeing three letters that the Broadus family, you know, reported, but they could never produce anything the woods supposedly had. The only real clue was a bit of DNA evidence. Um, one source said the letter contained female DNA, but did not match the Broadus woman's. So the watcher could be a lady, but who she or he was isn't disclosed. So far, nobody's been charged with anything, and the case pretty much just stays open. Who owns the house now? So since they can't sell the house and they don't like feeling watched every day, they first thought they would tear it down. They thought if they could tear the house down, they could then rebuild two smaller homes um, and, I don't know, rent them out to people or just have two separate homes. But the neighbors thought that was a shitty idea. It was going to bring a lot of noise, a lot of construction. And worst of all, the neighborhood was famous for having tons of big old colonial style mansions. And the neighbors didn't like the idea of ruining the street appeal by tearing down the beautiful home and building two, you know, swanky new modern smaller houses. So they complained and the city backed them up and declined the Broadus family from being able to demolish the home and build two tiny homes. So... the Broadus family sued again. Um, so now the new suits against the Wood family and the city of Westerfield, um, basically they're getting a huge headache brought to you by none other than the watcher. Yeah. Um, it didn't have much sympathy in court and they were denied basically again. So it goes on here to say part of the reason the city of Westfield may seem so heartless is the whole thing could be made up. 657 Boulevard was built in 1905, and it's been steadily inhabited ever since. None of the previous owners, save for the non-threatening note the Woods received, ever heard anything from anybody called The Watcher or anything close to it. They interviewed a former resident, Moggy Bakes Davis, who lived in the house from 63 to 88. Living there, she said she had a wonderful time. No Watcher, no creeps, no crazy stuff. She even had her wedding reception in the backyard and never received anything, you know, upside down regarding the wedding or living there. Um, She lived there as well as somebody from 55 to 63. That person says they never had any issues either. And this guy named Bill Schaefer says, I think it's all just a big farce. Somebody's mad at somebody about something or somebody's in over their head. He doesn't know what's going on, but um, nobody's been watching the house for hundreds of years. The whole thing is just absurd. So the cops don't turn up anything. Uh, people develop a bunch of theories. Even on Reddit, someone speculated that the Broadus family just wants their money back because they can't afford it, or they're just not happy with the state of the house. The whole thing basically just kind of screams sham. Um, or what they're trying to do is drive down the price of the house so maybe they can get some money back or drive down the price of the house and then sell it for a bigger profit. I don't know however all that kind of crap works, but somebody else says it. I tell you, this is what you do. This is this is the this is the old style Americana way. You get a fucking shotgun or get a fucking handgun. I don't care what you fucking get. You get some fucking security cameras. You stop being a pussy. Call in an exorcist. Get some salt and take care of that shit. And live in the house, <laughs> right? 
<laughs> call um, in Zach Baggins for Christ's sake. Do something. Right, call Preston and his brother. God, quit suing people. Quit just suing. Get the, sh- get the shit together. <laughs> um, another really interesting rumor that I am putting some weight on would be that some people are claiming this to be like the modern day Amityville horror story. And somebody's yeah. just searching for a quick 15 minutes of fame. And there may be some truth to that because supposedly Bloomhouse, New Line Cinema, and Universal are all or were all interested in one point of bringing the tale to life. Um, there's an article from 2015 that says nothing has been announced since, but it doesn't mean we won't see a. <laughs> it says it doesn't mean we won't see a Watcher movie starring Jackie Earl Haley as our new Watcher. So I don't know. It's it's pretty interesting here, you know. Um, lots of people think that they know who it is. Some people say that person is someone who lives locally. I heard a friend. So I heard this from a friend who knows someone who lives on that street in New Jersey. The watcher is a local crazy person who lives on the street and harasses everybody. Apparently he's an adult son of a couple living on the street. Everybody who lives down there knows who it is and no one's going to speak up against it because they're afraid that he's genuinely known to retaliate. The guy's parents defend him and they think he's harmless. In reality, strikes, he's actually making people really uncomfortable and annoyed and everybody in the neighborhood scared of him. He probably hasn't actually broken any laws so the police won't do anything. (laughs) We got a guy like that here in Wichita with the headphones. I won't say his name, but... uh... (laughs) (laughs) You're right. There's a couple of them. Um, Another guy says that basically the rumor has no merit. He thinks it's suspicious that the Broadus family has had 12 mortgages in the past 10 years, and they hasn't heard any complaints about the house or any unhinged person since then. If they had 12 mortgages, did they own the Amityville house before this time? (laughs) Right, right, right. No kidding. And the – oh, I forget what it's called, but the the murder house for the the Manson murders. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So you asked earlier who lives there now. They tried selling the house. There was no dice, so they then decided to rent the house out. Since February 2017, a guy named Chris has been living in the house with his three dogs. It's a beautiful and charming six-bedroom house that has four fireplaces. And apparently he uh, never read any of the news about the notorious house. And though he's aware of the watcher's letters, he says, eh, it's not my issue. I don't really give a shit. So he lives in a house that's allegedly threatened by a psycho. But Chris probably doesn't have any young blood save for his puppies. So the watcher probably didn't give two shits. That ain't the young blood I want. Get that other young blood in there. (laughs) Right. It says, in February 1st, 2017, the new fella Chris moves in. And by February 20th, the watcher returned to his pen pinning one more letter that, according to the lawyer, is the worst one yet. He says the letter contains specific threats and was more derogatory and sinister than any previous letters. But the content, of course, wasn't released now that it's a legal case, nor was the details disclosed, and police declined to comment whether any specifics or new information um, can be released about the case. Yeah, so they tried to interview this Chris guy, and they only got his lackadaisical... Eh, it's not my issue, man. I don't really care. <laughs> yeah, bro. <laughs> right. So do these, like, letters that they have, I mean, couldn't somebody, like, I don't know, like, match up the handwriting of the watcher letters with the handwriting of the family and just put this shit to close and be like, it's fake? Well, you would think so, man, but here's my thought. You know, you okay, you and I are both artists, and we spent our time studying artist uh, artist. We spent our uh, our time studying drawing and design and stuff like that. And calligraphy. I can write in about four hundred different shitty handwritings. 
Yeah. You know, I could write something left-handed. I can write really, really pretty if I want to, but normally my chicken scratch looks like a four-year-old shorthand. So I don't know. I mean, that'd be easy to fake. Yeah. Just get drunk and then write a letter, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Or just hold the pencil with, like, I don't know, your your ring finger and your middle I, finger and your thumb. And I'm just... watching this house, and I like young blood. <laughs> right. Put him in the window. Watcher. <laughs> right. I think it's you. I think you were the watcher this whole damn time. So, Case okay. all moving on. <laughs> <laughs> so the news part of the story is, uh, coincidentally, I've been wanting to talk about this for a while. And this morning I was searching news stories to talk about, and one popped up. And wouldn't you know it, wouldn't you know it, serendipitously, lawsuits over the Westfields Watcher House have been dismissed. And this story is dated um, today, October 19th, as we're recording this episode. Westfield, New Jersey Superior Court. Westfield, New Jersey Superior Court judge dismissed the civil lawsuit against the former owners of 657 Boulevard, now infamously known as the Watcher House. Um, this all went down on Wednesday. Uh, it says here he dis- uh, it says here she dismissed three counts of fraud because there was no evidence the former owners initially hid a letter from the watcher homeowners. The report also says the judge dismissed all four counts of counterclaims, saying there was no proof that the new owners tried to harass them by filing their suit. The home's previous owners had sought any uh, had sought compensatory damages. When the news of the disturbing letter signed as the watcher hit the summer of 2015, the case itself was already about a year old. Blah, 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 yankety-schmackety. I don't believe that my clients, as the sellers, had any legal obligations to the buyers that said they failed to comply with. Attorney Richard Kaplaw says. Um, blah-dee-blah-dee-blah-blah, blah-blah-blah-blah, blah-blah-blah-blah. The house recently went back on the market for asking price of $1,125,000. The current owners bought it for one million point one point thirty five million. According to court documents, the current owners say that they have been unable to sell the house because they can't sell property without first disclosing um, issues to current buyers. And they said um, in court nobody could. I was gonna say propagate that. I don't know if that's a real word in this case or not, though. We'll um, go with it. <laughs> we're gonna go with it. Um, they said that nobody could produce the actual letters. Nobody could show any carbon copies of the supposed watcher letters, not the one from the woods or the one from the new family as well. So sounds like shit is dead in the water. And that my friends is how the news goes. So it's pretty creepy. No matter how you slice it, man, if that shit really went on, I'd be trying to move too. I still call BS. <laughs> Do you? <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, maybe. Fucking Zach Baggins will buy it. He bought that demon-infested house, and he'll fucking buy this house. Yeah, look He's at him. Money. He's still on the Travel Channel or wherever. So. Yeah. Can't be that bad. <laughs> <laughs> All you need is Jinko jeans and a, <laughs> and a want to, to entertain. <laughs> <laughs> and a want to entertain. <laughs> I have a desire to entertain people. <laughs> That's awesome. So to follow up on a recent kick about serial killers and serial killing, we thought we'd continue on this topic with some more interesting facts and stories about said killers. And one of them 
We're going to go back in time and bring up this dusty old dead body of a story and talk about Jack the Ripper. And I was telling you earlier, I found a little story here about Jack the Ripper maybe being a woman. Yeah, very interesting. You never heard about it? Huh. Okay, I didn't either until again today. So, you know, again, what a coincidence. It fell in our laps and that was going to be our topic for tonight. So there's been a new book by author William Stewart called Jack the Ripper, A New Theory. And he's basically saying Jack the Ripper should have been called Jill the Ripper because there's been recent evidence supporting the killer may have actually been a woman. So in 2006, DNA evidence from a stamp from one of the Ripper's letters may have actually contained DNA sources of a woman. And there have been many theories on who Jack the Ripper was, and the police say that at the time, only four actual suspects who were labeled could have been the one to do it. But a recent witness says they believe that a woman may actually be behind the killings. Mary Kelly, the fifth victim, died horrifically between the hours of 3.30 and 4 a.m. But a witness by the name of Caroline Maxwell testifies that she saw Kelly twice in the same day, between the hours of 8 and 9 a.m. The first time she said she thought she saw Kelly, she looked ill. But the second time... She actually says she saw Kelly outside of a pub speaking to a man. Now, she describes the clothes she was wearing as a dark shirt, a velvet bow dice, and a maroon-colored shawl. And she vividly remembers the shawl as being Mary Kelly's. But Inspector Aberlein believes that Miss Maxwell was actually telling the truth and had no reason to lie. He was baffled to know how Miss Maxwell could have been so sure about seeing Kelly in the broad daylight. His proposal says the solution was that Jack the Ripper may not have been Jack the Ripper at all, but actually a woman known as Jill the Ripper. And let me interject here and say, that's dumb. (laughs) Jack and Jill. Right. Yeah, that seems kind of super cheese, but, you know, we're going to go with it. And basically what he thinks happened was Jill the Ripper killed this chick, dressed in her clothes, and then escaped being undetected through the city, knowing that nobody would look for her if she was wearing the same clothes as the victim. She could could confidently just walk through the streets exactly where she killed somebody, and nobody would know it was her. Sherlock Holmes author Arthur Conan Doyle even believed himself. His theory was that a man actually did the killings, but dressed as a woman to escape to be undetected by the police. And possibly the author of The Great Detective story was on the right track. It's enticing to believe that someone could commit such a heinous crime without being noticed. But surprisingly enough, the conclusion of Jack being a woman um, is summarized and supported by this new book. In the new book, author William Stewart came across the conclusion that Jack the Ripper was a woman and she may have actually been a midwife. And this is how she got away with everything she did. He bases this on the fact that a midwife would be able to move around at night without being detected or arousing any suspicion. And it would justifiably have been an excuse as to why she had blood on her clothes. And this would explain why the killer had such sufficient knowledge of about anatomy is because, you know, being a midwife, you know all that kind of stuff. And they support this by saying a lot of the mutilations on the bodies were surgical. They were very precise, and the killer knew exactly what they were doing. And the the victim, Mary Kelly, was pregnant at the time of her death, and the writer of the book puts forth that Mary Kelly was able to, 
Mary Kelly was unable to afford childcare and at three months pregnant decided to have an abortion. And the midwife was called that night and performed the abortion, but halfway through decided to murder Kelly. Burned some of the bloodied clothes, dressed in some of the disguises that she put together from Kelly's other clothes, and then managed to just walk down the street without being detected. Um, I mean, she's disgruntled. Yeah. Like, and, you know, po- postal workers go insane, shoot everybody up. And so, you know, eight early, late 1800s, you know, Europe, you got a midwife who's fucking tired of giving abortions to hookers and she just snaps. Yeah. And it's like, blah, 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 blah. That's, that's a really good, that's a really good point. And that's something the author talks about, too. They said what's odd is the murder scene, of course, had the dead body laying there. Uh, the body was mutilated in a surgical fashion. But some of the clothes had been burned while other clothes were taken off the body and folded neatly on a chair next to the crime scene. And so basically what they think happened was uh, she had started to prepare for the actual medical procedure. And then shortly after that, she just went to town. So it's kind of scary to think that she was actually a killer and she had nothing to hide from. There's a total of five victims that were generally accepted to be the Rippers, and they were all prostitutes, alcoholics, living in poverty, and Whitechapel, London. So you're kind of right on that uh, little information there. I think maybe it could have been a midwife who was just sick of treating all these prostitutes. She's tired of devoting her time to these people when she could be giving care to families, and something clicks, and she just goes off the deep end. And what a perfect cover-up, you know? I don't know. It sounds really, really, really interesting to me. So they believe the killer was in Whitechapel, as they must have had intimate knowledge of the streets and the back alleys, um, enough to escape without being detected. And the woman wouldn't have to hide. One suspect they thought might actually be Jill the Ripper is a woman named Mary Percy, who before her death by hanging at the age of 24 left a cryptic message in a Spanish newspaper later on found after her death. She was born Mary Eleanor Wheeler in 19... Oops, sorry, 1866. Then she took the last name of a John Charles Percy, a carpenter who she lived with, but left her due to his promiscuity. She moved in with Frank Hogg, a furniture remover, who had another lover, Phoebe Stiles. When Stiles became pregnant with Hogg's child... Percy encouraged them to marry, in which they did. But Phoebe and her child would both die at the hands of Percy later on. Hmm. Percy invited Phoebe Hogg and her baby, who was also named Phoebe Hogg. (laughs) So Phoebe Jr. (laughs) She invited them to her house on October 24th, 1890. Neighbors then reported hearing screams and violent sounds at 4 p.m. that early evening. Later on, the body was found in a pile of garbage and her head was crushed and nearly severed from her body, and the stroller was later found nearly a mile away, and unfortunately the body of the baby was found dead as well. There have been reports from witnesses who saw Percy pushing the stroller late that night. When people arrived at her home, they found a carving knife and a poker covered in blood, blood all over the walls, a skirt, and an apron were bloody as well. Percy said she had blood on her clothes because she had a problem with mice and was trying to kill them. According to somebody investigating the murders, she would later chant, killing mice, killing mice, killing mice, while she was hanging on December 23rd, 1890. And before her actual execution, like I said earlier, Percy had an ad placed in the Madrid newspaper. 
which actually read MECP, last wish of MEW, have not been betrayed. And it can only be assumed that the first initials refer to herself, Mary Eleanor Percy, but nobody really knows who the second set of initials belong to. MEW, nah, nobody really knows who it was, but whatever it was, uh, we'll never know. So what about Percy being Jill the Ripper, you might ask? I'm asking. Stuart notes, <laughs> Stuart's notes uh, the similarities between Percy's murder and the murder of Phoebe Hoggs. Oh, she notes, sorry. Stuart notes the similarities between Percy's murder of Phoebe Hogg with those of the Rippers, saying both savagely cut the victims' throats in private and then disposed of the bodies in public places. So the Ripper would have had to have been strong, which is another reason why people thought that he had to have been a man. But Percy equally must have been strong to have disposed of Hogg's body, which is the counter-argument, which is true, man. You'd have to be pretty stout to drag a body of a woman who had just you know, been three months pregnant yeah. through the streets that far away. And then also to have been able to crush her skull. So some people say they've never seen a woman stronger than Percy at the time. Her nerves were as iron cast as her body. So maybe she's pretty stout. Mm -mm -mm. They say she was a sociopath because of the way she killed the woman and her child both. And also because she was probably an experienced killer. Her motivation will never be known. And she has never confessed to any murder. She only left behind one enigma. That odd, odd letter. Well, I'm going to give my stamp of approval. The bitch did it. <laughs> Other people believe it was more than one person, maybe a team of people. It kind of reminds me of my, one of my favorite movies, Hot Fuzz. Have you seen Hot Fuzz before? I have not. Oh, I can't ruin it for you for crying out loud, Preston. Okay, we'll put your earmuffs on because I'm going to talk about it anyway. Um, if you guys have not listened, uh, shit, if you haven't seen Hot Fuzz, then here's your chance to back away. There's a bit of a spoiler. Um, just mute your show for like 30 seconds. Okay, three, two, one, Spoilsville. It reminds me of Hot Fuzz because the killer in Hot Fuzz, the slasher, was actually a team of the entire city, not just one person. So some people believe it could have been more than one person in similar fashion. Somebody could have killed the victims and ran one way, and then somebody else could have ran the other way in similar clothes. Okay, so enough spoilers. Yeah, so I don't know. Pretty crazy shit. So what do you think, man? You think it was a woman? Do you think that's a pretty interesting uh, theory? Yeah, I mean, I do. That's uh, something, I mean, as far as, like, uh, historical documents go, like, uh, I mean, that research that this author has done, like, that hasn't been brought to light mm -hmm. before now. And uh, you start to think about all the stuff that we know, like, uh, you know, they were blaming it on Jews at the time. Like, you know, there, there was a Jew that did it, and uh, it was this guy that did it. But uh, they never really gave you clear evidence as to who really did it. It's just like they picked a random stranger because they were so lost in the investigation as to what was going on. Well, this is pretty solid research, so I could uh, I could see this as being a possibility. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's interesting. It's very, very interesting. And then if you want to do some more reading, there's actually accusations from another author, John Morris, in his book, Jack the Ripper, A Hand of a Woman, that it actually could have been a woman by the name of Lizzie Williams. Kind of strange. And it's, it's cool because Lizzie Williams, the wife of a physician, so she herself uh, could have known a little bit of, uh, about anatomy as well. So I don't know. Quite interesting stuff. I think it's kind of cool. Women 
deserve equal uh, intrigue, I think. They can be batshit crazy just like the rest of us. (laughs) (laughs) Remember, you said that, not me. (laughs) Direct all hate emails to Robert Wood at at gmail.com. Thank you. Oh, man. Yeah. I don't know. It's interesting to me because like a a hundred different men have had the uh, microscope put on them saying that any of them could have been the killer. And it's just now pretty recent that uh, women are actually being put under the microscope as well. I don't think this really came to fruition until around like 2012 maybe. But uh, I don't know. The case of a woman's uh, the case of a woman being a murderer is overwhelming, somebody said. But unfortunately, it does not sit well in some quarters where such a theory flies in the face of long-held beliefs. Because everyone believes that a murderer was a man, all the evidence points to a woman being ignored. You know? Shit. It makes total sense. Maybe this chick, Percy, was just up there bench-pressing and doing push-ups this whole time, and nobody knew it. So, got sick of fixing prostitutes and low-lifes, and just like you said, man, she snapped and just went uh, postal. I imagine uh, in my mind the character, remember uh, American Horror Story Hotel? Yeah. The uh, lady that was cleaning the blood out of the sheets all the time? Yeah. Like, that would just, she just snaps one day and she's like, I gotta get the blood off. Maybe, man. You never know. Something. Something makes you do it. Um, Yeah. Hey, there's a good segue. Something makes them do it. And that leads directly onto what we're going to talk about next. So this this next part that I'm going to tackle, I'm going to give all you listeners an upfront warning that uh, it's going to get like graphic in areas, and uh, so I apologize upfront, but I thought we would bring it up because we we've talked about at least one of these serial killers in the past on our clown show, mm-hmm. and. Oh, shoot. Did we talk about Bundy? Maybe I got Bundy and Gacy confused. Well, and, we uh, talked about Gacy because he was Pogo the Clown. Um, I don't, okay. We may have breezed over Bundy before, but go ahead. I mean, people are familiar with Bundy anyway. So, you know, I, I guess I would say, like, Sean and I have a normal way of thinking, just like almost all of our listeners do. Like, we're just everyday Joes, and the stuff that I'm going to say uh, from the killer's perspective would be probably not in a thousand years ever enter our minds. And so for me, it was just kind of mind blowing to just hear how they think and what, you know, why they did what they did Mm -hmm. because it's, it's from their point of view. And, uh, so we're going to start off, we're going to travel in time from, uh, What'd you say your story took place in 18... Oh, I don't know. <laughs> oh, Eight, <laughs> I've already closed the eight, window, Preston. You know, 1870. We're going to yeah. travel all the way to, to the 30s, okay? And I'd never heard about this guy before, but uh, we're going to talk about a American serial killer from 1930 who was also a rapist, arsonist, and burglar named Carl Panzeram. Hmm. You know, it's good to wear many hats, they say. Yeah. So don't just stick to one thing. Be a jack of all trades. He he is a jack of all trades. <laughs> um, and from the early 20s, he was hard at work on a brutal killing spree that would leave at least 21 dead by his own admission, if not more. Damn, he works hard for the money. He did. Now, often uh, the the dead were sailors that he would lure away from bars in New York City only to rape and shoot them dead. Oof. 
However, Panzeram was particularly known for his uh, penchant for sodomizing young boys, which he has said he had done around a thousand times. He had a rather simple philosophy, and when asked why he had done what he had done, he said, I believe the only way to reform people is to kill them. Hmm. Kill them till they die from it. Yep. And he also demonstrated his cold and different nature when he calmly described the killing of a young boy as if it were just a regular everyday thing. I sat down to think things over a bit. While I was sitting there, a little kid, about 11 or 12 years old, came bumming around. He was looking for something, and he found it too. I took him out to a gravel pit about one quarter miles away from where we were at. I left him there, but first committed sodomy on him and then killed him. His brains were coming out of his ears when I left him, and he will never be any deader than that. Ugh. So, yeah, I just can't wrap my brain around how, as a human being, you can walk away from a scene like that. And he just talks about it like it's, you know, just an everyday thing. Like, meh. It's taking the trash out, to, yeah. I, I had to fix the problem. Mm-hmm. And uh, so the next one is a, a bloodthirsty fiend known as Peter Curtin from Germany, um, also known as... Peter Peter Pumpkin Eater. The Vampire of Dersendorf. Dersendorf. And uh, he, let's see here. He was executed by the guillotine, and right before his death, uh, they had asked him, you know, what are your thoughts? Like, how do you feel about being executed? And he said, After well, my- heads a roll. <laughs> yeah. After my head has been chopped off, will I still be able to hear? At least for a moment, the sound of my own blood gushing from my neck? That would be the ble- uh, the best pleasure to end all pleasures. Ewey. Yeah. Ewey. So they'd ask them, do you have any remorse? Uh, or, I mean, do you feel bad? Um, I have no remorse. As to whether the recollection of my deeds makes me feel ashamed, I will tell you, thinking back to all the details is not unpleasant at all. I'd rather enjoy it. Uh, gross. And... Albert Fish. Have you heard of Albert Fish? I have. Yeah, yeah, I have, actually. The werewolf of Wisteria, uh-huh. the Brooklyn vampire, the moon maniac, the boogeyman. I thought you were going to say the moon mermaid. I was like, <laughs> yeah, man, dude's mer- just getting all the classic monster labels. <laughs> uh, fucking jack of all trades. So Fish was a sexual deviant and degenerate psychopath who was responsible for raping, killing, and cannibalizing perhaps up to 100 children during his dark career. Fuck. Although the true number is not known. He would be eventually uh, convicted of kidnapping and uh, and the murder of Grace Budd and put to death in the electric chair in 1936. Of his motivations on such utter uh, depravity, Fish would say, I've always had a desire to inflict pain on others and to have others inf- inflict pain on me. I've always seemed to enjoy everything that hurt. The desire to inflict pain, that is the utmost pleasure I saw so many boys whipped, it took in my head. I'm not insane. I am just queer. <laughs> Why was he Marvin the Martian? <laughs> I don't know. Earthling. <laughs> Earthling. <laughs> I am the moon man. <laughs> That's true. He was the moon man. <laughs> I am the vampire of hysteria. <laughs> 
Oh boy. Let's see here. And there is a couple from England uh, who were also labeled as the Moore Murderers. It was Ian Brady and Myra Hinderley. And uh, when they were arrested, let's see. They were convicted of the killings and sexual assaults of five children aged from 10 to 17 years. And when they asked her about it, she said, I was under duress and abuse before the offense, after enduring them. And all the time I was with Brady, he used to threaten me, rape me, and whip me, and cane me. I would I would always be covered in bruises and bite marks. He threatened to kill my family. He dominated me completely. And then they asked Brady about, you know, why did you do what you did? And he said, unfortunately, many people sleepwalk through life without conscious awareness of their own system. If they have one at all and are therefore susceptible to the external notions of right and wrong imposed by others, particularly members of, of often in, anonymity and unqualified upper class and their social support system and mass media, I reached that stage where whatever came to mind, I got it out and I did it. I led the life that other people could only think about. Personality disorders is not even recognized in Scotland. They have different laws. In my view, more sensible views than in England. I am as pragmatic as soldiers or a politician. You don't see any regret from Tony Blair. In fact, he is uh, minting a future for his war crimes. Uh. Why are they still talking about Jack the Ripper after a century? Because of the dramatic background, the fog, the cobble streets. Mine's the same. Hound of Bakersfield. But people talk about Jack the Ripper because it was one of the earliest, you know, main documented serial killings, not because yeah. of the sexiness of the fog and the fish and chips. There's nothing sexy about old England. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck fish and chips. Fucking fish and chips, yep. Let's see here. And if we fast forward to uh, the 1970s. Edmund Kemper got his start in killing when he murdered his own grandparents when he was just 15. Um, he was released when he was 21 and then would pick up killing again, uh, which included decapitating, dismemberment, and sexually violating um, all who would come across his path. At least 10 killings between 1963 or 1964 and 1973 are um, attributed to him. He has an IQ of 145, huh. and he is quoted several times saying, uh, even when she was dead, she was still bitching at me. I couldn't get her to shut up. I certainly wanted, I wanted, I certainly wanted for my mother a nice, quiet, easy death like everyone else wants. I just want to see how it felt to shoot grandma. So he did. Oh, I remember that story. That was fucked. Yeah. You know who had the right idea? The guy who decided instead of killing his wife to just live in the forest for 10 years. Fuck. Yeah, there you go. Just <laughs> get, just go be a fucking hermit. Yeah, if there's something missing in your life, go find it in the forest. Don't kill people. He was also quoted saying, I remember there was actually a sexual thrill. You hear that little pop and you pull their heads off and hold their heads up by their hair, whipping their heads off, their body sitting there. That really gets me off. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. And that's a big that's a big recurring theme in a lot of these things is just the sexual thrill of the kill. Yeah. Unintentional rhyme. I just want that to be on record. 
And he's like, and most times I thought the first good-looking girl I see tonight is gonna die. <sighs> Fuck. One side of me says, I'd like to date her. The other side of me says, I wonder what her head would look like on a stick. Oh, ooh. <laughs> got dark really quick. Yeah. Pretty fucked up Tinder profile. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like uh, long walks at night in the moonlight. <laughs> My int- I like to put heads on sticks. <laughs> Interest- Which one would you like? <laughs> <laughs> My interests are lollipops, corn dogs, and other things on sticks. Pikes, sticks. Yeah, sticks. De- decapitation. decapitation. I mean, I'm safe. <laughs> Oh, and then finally, let's see, Ted Bundy, yeah, who kidnapped, raped, and killed at least 30 young women. We are serial killers. We are your sons. We are your husbands. We are everywhere, and there will be more of your children dead tomorrow. You feel the last bit of breath leaving their body. You're looking into their eyes. A person in that situation is God. Murder is not about lust. It's not about violence. It's all about passion. I'm the most cold-hearted son of a bitch you'll ever meet. I met a lot of men who were motivated to commit violence just like me, and without exception, without question, and every one of them was deeply involved in pornography. 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 (laughs) Pornography. I didn't even know what made a person want to be friends. I didn't know what made people attracted to one another. I didn't know what uh, or I didn't know what underlay social interactions. What's one less person on the face of the earth anyways? I don't feel guilty for anything. I felt sorry for people who felt guilt. I deserve certainly the most extreme punishment society and social and society deserves to be protected from me and from others like me. That's for sure. You learn from what you need to kill and take care of the details. It's like changing a tire. The first time you're careful, but by the 13th time you can't remember what where you yeah, where you left the lug wrench. Yeah, yeah, man. I've I've been listening to a lot of podcasts and reading about Bundy, and that's who you said, right, Bundy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the dude was just a goofball, man. When they finally get him to admit what he did during the interview tapes, he's just kind of bored with it, and he's just kind of like, you would think maybe they'd be excited about it, like, yeah, and I did this and this and this and this, but he's just like, yeah, you know, I. Uh, Opened up the back of the, the car and just grabbed the pipe and um, just kind of hit her over the back of the head with it and uh, and he just he seems real bored and almost not yeah. I don't, don't want to say remorseful but just kind of like almost embarrassed by it. It's pretty creepy. It's creepy shit. So they do have Gacy on here. So let's look at what old Pogo said. <laughs> The idea that I'm a homosexual thrill killer, that I stroll down the streets and stalk young boys and slaughter them, hell, if you could see my schedule, my work schedule, you knew damn well that I was never out there. Huh. <laughs> I don't re- remember killing anyone. I couldn't have done it without knowing it. I'm sure of it. I- I'm not sure if I did it. No, I don't think that's possible. I think after 14 years under true serum, had I committed the crime, I would have known it. There's got to be something that would would click in my mind. I've had photos of 21 of the victims, and I've looked at them all over the years, and I've never recognized any of them. Uh, He was a weirdo, man. What's strange about him is they talk about him being like the, the chubby, loud 
almost like a Chris Farley in a way. Like he was annoying and overbearing, but you couldn't help but like the guy. Like he'd walk into a bar and just, you know, free drinks for everybody. And you'd be like, who the hell's this asshole? And then by the end of the night, like everybody's like, yeah, John, John, he's our man. And like, even I guess like when he was in prison the first time, apparently like he was just schmoozing the guards and schmoozing the higher ups. And everybody's like, man, this guy is not that bad. Yeah. And that's how he got away with it, man. He was just a charismatic dude, and nobody really figured he was a threat. He was just a loud, drunk, slightly smelly guy that, eh, it's just John. You know how John is. He's kind of a weirdo, but eh, he buys me shots, so. Yeah. And he never hits on my wife. Just just my son. (laughs) Uh, Son of Sam. Remember him? (laughs) Speaking of sons. Oh, man. He was was an odd one, too. He said that a dog convinced him to do all that. Uh Uh-huh. He also quoted, I didn't want to hurt them. I only wanted to kill them. Oh, well, you killed him too hard, bud. You killed him too hard. I was literally singing to myself on the way home after the killing. The tension, the desire to kill a woman had built up in such explosive proportions that when I finally pulled the trigger, all the pleasures, all the tension, all the hatred had just vanished, dissipated, but only for a short time. (laughs) What the fuck? It just happens to be satisfying to get the source of the blood. Oof. Woman, woman, bing, bong. Oof. Oof. So, yeah, I just, uh, I don't know. I just thought that that was just so weird, just their their thoughts and what goes through their mind as, as they do it. Yeah, there's a lot of... Uh... A lot of interesting books and documentaries you can read. There's a couple documentaries on uh, Netflix right now that you can watch and they talk about it. You know, I, I used to uh, watch a lot of like true crime CSNBC documentaries and stuff like that where they sit down with killers. And the one that always fascinated me, for lack of better words, because that sounds really morose, is um, the Iceman. The Iceman killer. That story is really bizarre. There's actually a pretty decent um, movie with uh, Michael Shannon, who actually portrays the the ice pick or the ice man, but like that dude was living two lives at one point. Like he was just a mindless killer for hire for the mob, and then he also had a family, like a wife and a kid, and so he was just double dipping. You know, during the day he was Mister Dad and husband of the year and then at night he was just going out whacking people in bars and shooting people in their cars on the streets man and btk right there yeah oh dude um i don't want to be one of those stories where it's like oh yeah i know somebody who uh who talked to him but if i remember correctly i had uh my old boss in college was telling us when she lived in park city before he had got caught officially i'm pretty sure she said he went to her house and, like, did an inspection on, like, a utility inspection or something like that just shortly before yeah. he got caught. And, I mean, that's me trying not to sound like, oh, listen to me. I know somebody who almost blah, blah, blah. But, yeah, it's it's interesting to think, like, man, how how close a lot of people could have been to that. Yeah. You know, it's, it's pretty sick, so. I got uh, Jeffrey Dahmer here. At your house? No. Run. I I pulled up I pulled up his quotes. He was quoted saying she was giving me oral sex and she got carried away, so I choked her. Huh. I bit into the flesh itself and just stared into her eyes. 
She urinated and defecated on herself and told me everything I wanted to know. When I picked these women up, I thought I had I thought I had AIDS because one of the women who stopped in the car told me of the of the woman I took home is HIV positive. I didn't know which one of them uh, were, so I went back and picked up all the ones I dated and started killing them. While I was doing that, well, let's just skip over the rest of that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yep. We're pretty much done there. So there you go. If you ever wanted to know what was going through the minds of a serial killer, folks, we just laid it all out on the line. (laughs) So... What's interesting, man, and coincidentally, I was hoping to get Steven on our show tonight, um, but he couldn't make it on. Sucks to be you, nerd. Um, there's another show on Netflix that he and my buddy Seth have both been, you know, pretty much haggling at or uh, nagging at me to watch, and it's called Mind Hunter. Have you seen that? Sorry, Mind Hunter, not Mine Hunter. Ooh, they should make a show called Mime Hunter where they just hunt mimes in France. Um, <laughs> I'm putting up a wall. You can't Preston's see me. in a box. But yeah, Mind Hunter is a ten episode show on Netflix, and apparently it's about kind of like the early pioneers of criminal profilers. Um, for the U.S., you know, like the FBI and whatnot. There's a group of guys. I haven't watched it yet, so I'm kind of going on a wing here. Um, I believe it's about a bunch of guys or a couple guys who pretty much tell the FBI there's probably reasons behind these people's actions and why they do what they do. And maybe we should pay a little more attention to why they're killing people and why they're doing the crimes they're doing other than the fact that, oh, yeah, they're crazy. That's why they did it. So I have only watched about the first 20 minutes. I started it before we recorded tonight. And, yeah, you know, Netflix is on a pretty good roll for their shows lately. So we're going to give it a shot. So do you think by the end of it, just guessing off everything you just said that they're they're gonna when they say like we should look into it more like we just can't say that they're just crazy that there's some conspiracy nut out there that's trying to say like maybe like subliminal messaging through like TV affects a percentage of the of the people or the populace and that's what causes these people to go that crazy like they're just programmed to be killers uh, maybe there's always that argument that people are killers because they were born that way or they're missing something. Um, other people turn around and say, no, uh, one day, like you were saying, postal, uh, killings one day, a a switch just flipped and they lost it and couldn't take it anymore. So I don't know. There's lots of different things, man. People are sociopaths and they're just, they're missing something that, you know, creates empathy in people and, you know, killing somebody is like I said earlier, the same as taking the trash out, uh, unfortunately. So, and without these guys, you know, we wouldn't have a lot of answers. It's really important. Like the first episode, like the first 20 minutes, no spoiler, um, they're interviewing a guy about something that happened and they're just like, listen, like it doesn't matter why he did it. We don't care why he did it. The fact is he's a killer and he killed somebody and now he's dead or something to that effect. So it's kind of like back then they didn't care. You were a criminal. Ergo, you deserve to be a caught or be dead. Right. And there's nothing in between. People are bad because they're bad. We don't care why they did it. We just care that they did it. And the argument's like, no, if we can figure out why they're doing it, then maybe we can prevent some people from, you know, being hurt in the future if we can identify some of these signs. So, I mean, that, that uh, philosophical idea of, you know, like the life, the universe and everything that we're, you know, reincarnation happens. Yeah. We have a karmatic debt that, uh, you know, maybe like you're supposed to experience loss. And so like, you know, that person is not really evil 
um, not born evil, but to you know pay back a karmatic debt or to teach you a lesson right. or because you need to experience horrific loss, like that was their job, and uh, you know maybe everything happens for a reason. Right. I don't know if I buy that necessarily because that really doesn't explain. You know, like why somebody has to go through a horrible situation to learn something from it. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, like Berkowitz, uh, what was it? David Berkowitz, son of Sam, he did it because he said, I think it was like his neighbor's dog told him to do it. His neighbor's dog was actually yeah. Satan or the devil or something like that. And the dog told him to kill people. And then, I mean, even him, you know, if you study enough of him, he didn't like killing people and he wasn't really good at it. Like the dude had a like a six-shooter revolver, and he would shoot just willy-nilly. And a lot of times he would set out to shoot somebody point blank, and, like, he might shoot him in the shoulder or, like, you know, just graze them because he was, you know, partly terrified to do what he did. So, Whoops the daisies I got six more shots. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to think. I, I don't remember for sure, but I want to say, like, one of the people he tried to kill in the back of a car, he shot him in the foot because they were flailing so much. Like, wouldn't that be a bitch? <laughs> Man. Well, interesting. But yeah, check out uh, Mind Hunter. We're going to f- hopefully finish that up before next Friday. So, hell, this is a good time to jump into what you've been watching. So, Netflix has a bunch of stuff coming out. And this coming Friday, uh, a week from today, actually, will be um, not. Oh, shit, no. What is today? Today's Thursday. So, tomorrow's the 20th. 1922 comes out. And that's the Stephen King book I just finished. Next uh, next week, also Stranger Things seasons two on Netflix. Yeah. That's like what Thursday or Friday. So we're gonna binge watch the shit out of that. Oh, nice dude. Um, I just started uh, Roanoke, um, American Horror Story season. Yeah, whatever. What do you think of American Horror Story thus far? You're, I mean, you're pretty much caught up, <sighs> with the exception of this new season. It's like a, it's like a fucking weird like. I don't know. I feel like a, a reality TV show knockoff. Like they're trying to do a reality TV yeah. show knockoff. I just I don't like it. I'm gonna give it a whirl. I'm gonna you know try to get more into the story, but uh, just that whole reality TV show spin just fucking just pisses me off. What the fuck is this? Just stop. Yeah, it's it is one of my favorite seasons for lack of better descriptions recently. It was it was a cool idea, I think. How many episodes in are you? One. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. It has some interesting ideas and, and stuff they tried. I just – I think season two is my favorite, and that was The Asylum. Yeah. They had some cool stuff. They're just – they're terrible at most of their seasons being like really great out the gates, uh, losing momentum halfway through, trying you know haphazardly to regain momentum – and then realizing, oh shit, we have an hour left. Let's just kill everybody. And I was really pleased up until um, that moment in uh, Freak Show uh-huh. when they decided, like, we have to connect all these seasons together. Yeah. And they start, I'm just, fucking stop it. You don't need to fucking connect the seasons. <sighs> this is not, no, just stop. Yeah, because there was that scene in a Freak Show where one of the police officers get out of, gets out of his car and he has a coffee mug and the coffee mug has like a logo on it. And supposedly maybe that logo has been featured in every season. I don't know. I think it's cool to link the seasons together, like link one to another, but trying to link them all together just feels really dumb and forced, you know, just, 
You just fucking stop. Yeah, just, you know, they, just... they link the asylum to some of the characters of Freak Show. That makes sense to me. You know, that's a pretty obvious connection there. But yeah. the way they try to link some of the other stuff just feels forced and like it was an afterthought of like, oh, wouldn't it be neat if we tried to link these together five seasons later, you know? So I don't know. I'm I'm in I'm forcing myself to watch the new season, um, Colt. And like some of the it's actors are fantastic, man. They they really do. A, Evan Peters is great. Sarah Polson was great, but this season feels like it's just an hour a week of her just going. You know, I used to think the guy that played Norman Bates on Bates Motel was the worst crier on syndicated television, but that award's going to go to Sarah Polson. She hams that puppy <laughs> up, dude. And I speaking of Evan Evan Peters, uh, so uh, Dark Phoenix, that two parter yeah. that uh, Marvel's coming out uh, with, uh, he's going to reprise his role as Quicksilver. He, so it's pretty fantastic. I like that dude a lot. Yeah. He does a really good job at Quicksilver. You know, it'll be cool in that movie or those movies rather as a two parter. You just said that. Um, I just don't need another montage of his powers. You know. Give me a couple quick little tidbits, but I don't think I need a five-minute montage of some really cool 70s song and him just doing his thing. Like, the first one was fantastic. The second movie, it was okay. You know, I'll give you a pass. Yeah. I don't want to see it again. No, I just like uh, I just like his uh, his comedic attitude, so yeah. give me yeah. more of that. Yeah. Um, and the way he kicked uh, uh, Apocalypse's ass, yeah. Like maybe give me those scenes. That yeah. was some comedy. That's what I want. Yeah, to see. I like the way they show his power, like the super slow mo. I just don't want five minute chunks. Like let's just pepper the show with little bits here and there. Season it. Don't just you know force it down my throat. So, uh, speaking of Marvel stuff, did you watch the trailer for the New Mutants? Um, I haven't. Okay, uh, check it out. But. Uh, I know I'm excited to see Demon Bear um, see, as a villain. See, I – there's so many different X-Men. There's X-Men, X-Force, New Mutants, all this kind of stuff. I don't even know the actual roster of mutants we're supposed to have in this movie. But, dude, I remember them saying a long time ago this was going to be you know, Marvel, Marvel's first, quote, horror movie. And that trailer looks pretty creepy, dude. It's It looks kind of like an Asylum-esque – you know, crazy house and these mutants are trying to learn their powers and all that. I don't know. It looks cool. Check it out. I think it's going to be a pretty yeah. great movie. I really do. And then eventually uh, with the Deadpool two, uh, two bringing in cable, mm -hmm. that's going to lead into X-Force. And so uh, yeah, X-Force and there's X-Factor. There's a lot to Deadpool three, <laughs> right? Yeah. Air quotes, Deadpool three. They got a lot of cool stuff they could do, man. I just, I want to forget that the original X-Men movies ever happened, one through three. And let's just start things fresh with the, uh, the what do they call that, first class series. They did a pretty good job yeah. with those. Brian Sanger uh, redeemed himself on the last two. Mm -hmm. I thought Apocalypse should have been a two-parter. I thought that yeah. there was so much story there that you should have made that two parts. But, yeah. uh, you know, you're giving me uh, Ashante and uh, Dark Phoenix and the, the whatever that alien empire – Oh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. So, you know, cool. nerd job. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just saw the trailer for the new Black Panther movie, and it looks pretty fantastic. But I don't know. I I didn't think this is an original thought at all, but most of the Marvel uh, MCU movies, you know, Avengers and Ant-Man and all those, Iron Man, they've been great movies, but they suffer from one Achilles heel, kind of like American Horror Story. And that is that the protagonist 
just fights himself, who's the antagonist. It's Iron like Man Iron versus Monger. Yeah, Iron Man, Iron Monger. Iron Man and Whiplash. Whiplash in the movies has an iron suit. And Ant-Man fought... Um, Yellow Jacket. Thank you, Yellow Jacket. It's just good guy versus bad guy. You know, it's freaking Obi-Wan Kenobi versus Anakin Skywalker. You're supposed to be my brother. So Black Panther, uh, you're going to see the trailers eventually. He's fighting another cat person, it looks like. And not maybe not the Black Panther. Maybe it's the Golden Leopard. But again, it's the same shitty thing they do every time of, I'm going to fight myself, you know, in... In Logan, he fights himself, and that's the only one I give a free pass to because that was symbol uh, that was symbolic of like his inner demons. He has always been his own worst enemy, and his greatest villain has always been himself because he's a self hating you know uh, individual. And I liked that, although it again force fed it to me. You could have had him fight Sabretooth. You could have had him fight any of these other Omega ones. Red. Yeah, Omega Red Cyber. You could you could make him fight somebody who was closer to his. Um, character build without being like, oh, let's have him fight a clone. That makes more sense, doesn't it? They keep telling us that they're closer to putting Mr. Sinister in a fucking movie. Just get it over with. Like, yeah. I'm tired of seeing Magneto as the bad guy because he's been the bad guy or part bad guy for like eight fucking movies. Give me fucking Mr. Sinister. God damn it. I want Mr. Sinister in a fucking movie. <laughs> yeah. And maybe throw in Omega Red while you're That'd at it. That'd be cool. That would have been fun, man. Who knows? But, you know, the recasting... um Wolverine and Hugh Jackman is not going to be reprising the role anymore, but supposedly part of his contract is that he gets to help pick the next guy. So who knows how it goes? It's going to be interesting to see. But I mean, that's kind of nice now because maybe they can start incorporating a Wolverine character into the main MCU now, which would be kind of cool. You know, Sony and the MCU are playing nice and sharing, and now we have Spider-Man, so... And Venom, we got the Venom movie coming out. Yeah, and like there's this back and forth of like, oh, Venom's not going to be part of the MCU. It's a separate alternate timeline. And then all of a sudden they're like, yeah, okay, he does belong to the Tom Holland universe. So maybe it'll just be a side story happening elsewhere. So but yeah, Thor Ragnarok's coming out, man, less than, a, less than a month away from that. And I've been avoiding the trailers like the plague. So that's going to be nice and fresh for me. And uh and I've been avoiding telling you what goes on in the <laughs> Right, yeah. <laughs> I can appreciate that. So uh, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, lots of good stuff. This is what happens when Rob is not here to steer us back on track. This has just turned into Sean and Preston's movie reviews. <laughs> yeah. yeah, fuck it. Yeah, it's content. Yeah. What are you going to do? But yeah, um, yeah. What are you going to do? <laughs> check out 1922 on Netflix. It's a Stephen King uh, short about a guy and his son – uh, trying to deal with the nagging mother and the chaos that ensues, them trying to uh, find a way to live without her, so to speak. So that'll be fun. Uh, Stranger Things Series 2, Season 2, sorry. Um, yeah, a week from tomorrow. Can't wait for that. Yep. It'll be awesome. And then there is still time, guys, to catch um, Old Town Warren here in Wichita is going to show the original Night of the Living Dead, 1968 it's going to be a 4K restoration, and they say that if you've seen the movie a hundred times, you haven't seen it like this. And if you have not seen it, this is the true way to see it. So check that out. It's going to be a pretty good one. They're showing that Monday, October 30th, and Halloween Day as well, um, both nights. I believe they're going to have a 7 and a 10 p.m. showing both nights. Double check that. But uh, yeah, Old Town Warren here in Wichita. It's going to be a pretty fantastic way to end the horror fest. So. I say we plug some podcasts and get out of here, buddy. It's been about an hour and a half. 
Yeah, let's do it. So if I were to tell you what's in my uh, podcast playlist, I would tell you guys that uh, check out the Boogie Monster. Their uh, new Black Knight satellite <laughs> is a clusterfuck of wonderfulness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, also uh, Astonishing Legends, so you can kind of pick and choose there. But some of their stuff is pretty good. Yeah. And then uh, the Bruds down in Texas, uh, Expanded Perspectives, they gave me a shout-out on their show. Did they really? A couple, yeah, what? a couple years ago for my uh, paranormal investigation stuff. Nice, dude. So I'm, I'm going to repay the favor and give them a shout-out. Go listen to the podcast. Pretty good stuff. Cool. And then um, if you're into Masonic stuff and want to get some Masonic education, there is a podcast out there called From Whence Came You. Um, they just did a uh, episode on um, Masonic tie-ins and uh, Star Wars universe, so that was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. And then always our brothers from another mother and our guest star for next episode, Big Steven, yeah. on the O&D podcast. So go give them a listen, uh, never to disappoint. Yeah, check them out. Big Steven and Brady on O&D. No fuck Brady. He didn't like our our mood conspiracy <laughs> episode. We need to uh, we need to get Brady and Steve back together and see if we can wrangle up a Corey and do another roundtable. We haven't done one of those in a while, so we haven't. Yeah, we need to see if uh, if Brady has the old Skype app on his computer. Maybe we can get him to phone in one of these nights and have him on as well. That'd be kind of fun. Let's just Skype it. Let's do it. Yeah, I just if we do any more than three people, I like to do roundtable because it is an editing nightmare. Three is the lucky number that. Doesn't push me over the edge. <laughs> you could be like my brother in marriage is four no more. <laughs> <laughs> Yikers. So, yeah. Check them out. Check out the rest of the pixelated family. Check out Mark's solo cast, The Pixelated Sausage. He talks about video games, movies, anime, anime, whatever, manga, manga, Japanese stuff, um, and all sorts of other keen things that he's into at the moment. Check him out. And then our very own Rob has a show with Mark and our buddy Corey. Fuck Corey. And sometimes Rich <laughs> called the Pixelated Radio, where they talk about, again, movies, mostly video games, TV shows, and whatnot. Bunch of nerd pop culture stuff. And then check out Rich's show, Sports Car Unleashed, my favorite podcast I've never listened to, all about sports cars, how to unleash them, and I'm sure other things that go vroom vroom. Always a good time. And then check out the Main Event Podcast. They're uh, some buddies of Rob's up in the old big state of Kentucky, and they talk about pro wrestling and beer and I like one and a half of those things, so I've been tuning in quite a bit. The beer talk's fun. They make wrestling chatter tolerable. I actually enjoy their show. I have no idea what they're talking about. I quit watching wrestling probably back in like 1999. But uh, when you were when you were eight and Hulk. Hogan lost his eyeball. <laughs> right, yeah. Come on, brother! Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. They've got a good show. Um, their recent episode they just put up in October is pretty great. Um, I haven't got all the way through it, but I think they're going to get to some spooky stuff. And they share some pretty great stories about just like their bar escapades. They usually drink and rate a couple beers whilst they're on uh, on the air, so that's always a good time. And yeah, I'd love to get them on one night and do a little chatter if we could find a way to do that too, so... It's always a good time. But, yeah, their latest episode is Russian Wax. I believe it is a uh, Imperial Stout that they were trying. So check mm. that out. But Yeah. And if you're a bearded fellow like we are or a lady who wants to grow a beard because we shouldn't discriminate, check out Big Dobbs Beard Balm. 
He is one of the greatest beard balm manufacturers in the entire universe. He keeps all three of our beards nice, moist, sleek, and sexy. And he has all sorts of wonderful flavors on his website. So definitely check him out. It is some great stuff. And if you go to his website, uh, use pixelated. Oh, sorry. If you go to his website, use the promo code PXLPARA, and you can receive 20% off your entire order using our special code. So that's pretty good, good stuff. Check him out. He's got lots of great smells. Which one are you rocking? Still, you still rocking classic? I would really love the classic. And, uh, you know, I've tried different beard bombs and most of them, they're really greasy, really oily, yeah. and they uh, get flaky after a while. I even made my own homemade beard wax, and I had that same problem that it got flaky yeah, after a I while. I remember that. It smelled great, but we just it was flaky. It was flaky, and uh, this uh, classic beard balm um, makes my beard smell like tea tree heaven um, all day long, mm-hmm. and uh, I don't get any of the flakiness. Right. So uh, it's got to, it's got a good when I keep my beard short. It's got a really good consistency to mm-hmm. it. I need to reach out to old Dob and see if he can make me a heavy-duty beard wax for my uh, Jewish rabbi beard here. <laughs> because when it starts to get really long, it's wiry and uh, nothing keeps that thing down. So uh, oh, that's awesome. Maybe he can maybe he can help a brother out and make me a uh, an honest a beard wax. <laughs> right. <laughs> we'll check it out. We'll we'll see if he can whip that up. But yeah, check him out, guys, at bigdobsbeardbalm.com. He's got a Facebook. Go like their page. Uh, hit him up, order you some beard stuff for you or that special loved one or friend or somebody who's just tinkering with the idea of growing a beard. This is a great way to start you off. He's got oils as well and some soaps that he sells too. So check him out, bigdobsbeardbalm.com. We are on the brink of about an hour and 40 minutes, buddy. I think we should call it. Boom, done. All right. Thanks so much for joining us, guys, and catch us on Halloween for our second bonus show this month. Thank you so much for listening. The cast that Pixelated Paranormal would like to thank you for listening to this week's episode. Pixelated Paranormal is here to tell you tales of the fantastical, the strange, the unknown. Tales that will move you a little further down the paranormal highway. If you'd like to share your own listener story, we would love to hear it. You have two ways. One, email us at pixelatedparanormal at gmail.com. Again, that's pixelatedparanormal.com at gmail.com. If you'd like to leave us a voicemail, we have that set up too. Dial us at 707-523-4263. Again, that's 707-523-4263. We'd really love to hear from you. Again, thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pixelated Paranormal, your guide to the unusual and the strange. Said, are you ready for the watcher? The very naughty watcher. He's going to want you to put your young blood against the window. Ooh. That sounds a lot like that song, Are You Ready for the Sex Girls? <laughs> are you ready for the sex girls?